Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. He has years of experience as a pastor, seminary instructor, and more. Later, you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. After the birth of Christ, she went on with her husband, Joseph, and bore other children male and female. And one of those, and I think he's probably most likely the eldest son after Jesus, was named James. In Galatians chapter 1, it talks a little bit about him. Remember, Paul goes and mentions to the Galatians about James in chapter 1 verse 19. It says, but of the other apostles saw I none, And Paul is giving a testimony here that he hadn't seen the apostles, but he does see James. Verse 19 says, James, the Lord's brother. So James is the Lord's brother. He's a half-brother. We learn from this that Christ, of course, had other brothers. And also chapter 2 and verse 9, about when James, Peter, and John, and that would have been James, not the brother of John, but James who appears to be, it seems to be the scriptures say, who were pillars of the church. So here this James is called a pillar of the church, along with Peter and John. He was a man of great strength, of great reputation, a pillar of the church. What does that mean? He is such strength of faith and such strength of life. He is a stronghold that's holding up the church, that he's unwavering. So now let's find out a little bit more about this man who's called a pillar in the church and our Lord's brother. And we look at Matthew chapter 1, and we might just take a very quick tour, 1 and 18. When Jesus was born before Mary was ever had relations with Joseph, any marital contact at all, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then, verse 25, it says that Joseph knew her not through all the time of her pregnancy until she brought forth, the key word, her firstborn son. So the use of the term there, firstborn son, gives us the idea that there are other sons that are born. It would have been very easy and very right if Jesus was the only son The only child who said her only son, but her firstborn means that there were others. And Luke 2, 7 records the same thing. Mark chapter 6 and verse 3. I know I'm going kind of quickly, but I just want to give you some introduction to see who this man is. We get in a little deeper in the story of our Lord when it says that when Jesus went to Nazareth and did all that he did, the people commented by saying, verse 3, Is not this the carpenter? Speaking of Jesus, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Because remember the occasion in Mark chapter 3 had been teaching 
there in the synagogue and he picked up the book of Isaiah and he read it and he said, this day is this fulfilled. So they're saying, who does he think he is? He's coming off saying that he's a Messiah when everybody knows he's the carpenter's son. And his mother and his brothers are here and James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and all of his sisters are living. How can he make such bizarre claims? Again, I, I note that James is the first listed, and that's why I think that he's probably the oldest next to Jesus. That's why I think that it's clear that he is kind of a, a dominant person within that family. Also in Matthew 3:55, there's a similar indication. We don't need to turn there. But remember, these, of course, are half-brothers, half-sisters, that Jesus was the child of Mary, but he was the son of God, virgin-born child not of Joseph but nevertheless these were considered his brothers they were considered his sisters from this world's point of view in Mark 3 Jesus in that particular setting is back in the house and there his brothers and his mother are calling they're standing outside and someone in the midst said behold your mother and your brothers outside seek for you and he answered them saying who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked around about on those who sat about him and said, Behold, my mothers and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother or my sister or my mother. He takes that opportunity of his mothers and his brothers coming after him to teach about the true relationship now on a spiritual level. There's other verses that parallel that in Luke 8 and John chapter 2, Matthew 12. And all of those passages mention Jesus' brothers. His family must have thought he was a little bit off. He was a little crazy. Something's going on here. That maybe he was going to bring dishonor on the family. They had to try to go and get control of him. And his brothers did not believe in him. And they probably wanted to cease being embarrassed by the things that he was doing, the bizarre behavior among the crowds. Can you imagine they'd been raised with him? And in John 7 and 3, Jesus said, His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeks to be known only. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. In other words, they're telling him, go down away from Galilee to Judea and do your things there. And let it really be proven that you are from God. Verse 5 says, for neither did his brothers believe in him. That's the point. I said all of that to get down to, they did not believe in him. They were too close to home. The prophet is without honor in his own country, in his own house. And so you can only imagine what it would be like to be in his own family. The brothers did not believe him. They thought he was crazy. They wanted him to stop that bizarre behavior. And they lived with him from the time when he was a child. There are some that say that he went around raising dead animals, dead birds, healing sick animals, creating miracle food making beautiful sunsets. All of that is in false writings, what they call pseudographical. It's all been made up. If those things were true, 
then his brothers probably would have believed on him. If they had seen him do all these things from being raised up with him, they would have said, yeah, there's something different about him. But the scripture says that his first miracle was at a wedding feast of Canaan. And he turns water into wine. That's the first. So that was the beginning of his miracles. Prior to that time, there had been no indication. There had been nothing except that he was the perfect child. Jesus never needed to get spanked. He never needed any kind of correction. I wonder if they ever thought, why doesn't Jesus get spanked? He never did. Well, Acts 1.14, we come into the upper room. Remember now in the book of Acts, James fits into this picture now. We've seen him as unbelieving in the Gospels. And now in the book of Acts, we find him in the upper room gathered with those who believed in Christ after his resurrection. Jesus has ascended into heaven and these are all there in prayer. The apostles are there. Not only the apostles, but verse 14 says that the women that were there that attended Christ in his death. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. His brothers were there. Judas and Joseph and Simon, James, was there. They're all listed. So what happens? How is it that his brothers were there? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, he gives us the answer. It says this, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. He was seen by Peter... Then of the twelve, seen by above five hundred brethren. Then verse 7 says, And after that he was seen by James. Then all of the apostles. Why is it that he is not listed as if this James was one of the apostles? No, he was not. This is a different. So it's interesting because Jesus revealed himself to James in a personal post-resurrection we say revelation. He's showing himself. And, and that's precisely why James and the brothers appear in the upper room in Acts chapter 1. Because they have seen the resurrected Christ. They've believed on him. So James has come all the way to faith in his brother who is the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of this post-resurrection Revelation. James now finds himself with the apostles. He finds himself with the women in the upper room. And they've been told to wait. They're not sure exactly why, but they've been told to wait until they were endued with power. They were waiting for the gifting of the Holy Spirit. They were waiting for that Holy Spirit to come upon them. Maybe whether or not they understood all of that. But they were there on the day of Pentecost. So now this James is in the mainstream of the Jerusalem church. And it isn't long become, before he becomes a very, very important part of that church. Hi. Let me interrupt very quickly to let you know and update you with some information. You can contact us at schoolofministryresources.org, all runs together, or contact me personally at paul at landmarkstockton.com. We also have online services on Facebook at Landmark Stockton, that all runs together. Or, if you're interested in our church history sessions, you can look on YouTube under Landmark Stockton, two separate words in that place. 
We'd love to send you information, and we're always so glad to hear from our listeners. So please feel free to contact us, and we'll get right back to you. Thank you. Now back to our podcast. God sent an angel, released Peter, and now Peter's talking and explaining how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, go tell these things to who? To James and to the brethren. Why is it that Peter goes to tell this James? Why is it that he is now of such a place that, boy, go tell James. The Lord said, go see James. <laughs> He's declared these things. Now, well, all of a sudden, the last time we saw James, he was just in the upper room. He was meeting, but now he's the focal point of the church of Jerusalem. There is something very important that's happened here. And James, and if we can borrow from kind of a contemporary term, he's become the senior pastor of the Church of Jerusalem, First Missionary Baptist Church of Jerusalem. It's understandable. You can imagine what renown he had as the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can imagine how that people were looking at him. Now he's the one who all of a sudden appears in this prominent position. And in Acts chapter 15, there is a council, and the Jerusalem council, because... Gentiles are now being saved. The church of Jerusalem was made up of Jews that had come to Christ. It was a Jewish community. And now some of these Gentiles, and the question is, what are we going to make these Gentiles do concerning the law? But who presides over the meeting? Verse 13 says, and after they held their peace. In other words, they listened to Barnabas and Paul in verse 12 telling them everything that God had been doing among the Gentiles. They held their peace. James answered. Why? Because James was responsible to answer. He again is seen as a key person in the church. Men and brethren, listen to me, he says. James is presiding over the whole council. He leads in the decision about the Gentile evangelism, how to avoid legalism. And he helps compose the letter to the Gentile churches, to those churches that had been established, how they could be cautious not to offend their brother Christian Jews, but that they would not come under the law. So all of a sudden, James is the one who all of the reports come to. In Acts 21, we see him here for the last time. Paul's coming back from a missionary journey. He's coming back with an offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And he comes with this offering because the, the people loved the Jerusalem, those of the Jerusalem church. And he brings this offering because there had been a lot of dissension between Jew and Gentile. The Jews treated Gentiles as well. They're like the dirt of the road. They're nothing. And when they came to Jerusalem, verse 17 says, When the brethren received us gladly, the day following Paul went in with us unto James. Again, we see James, that presiding role in Acts 21. In this case, James had the position of leading all of the others. And all the elders were present, it says. And all of the elders were present with James. In verse 19, as they began to declare all that God had done among the Gentiles, it was given to him again, and they glorified the Lord. He says, you see, brethren, how many thousands of Jews are there who believe. They're all zealous of the law. So now James goes into the discussion because he does not want to cause division. He does not want there to be uh, problems in the conversion of all of these. Tradition says that James was martyred 
in AD 62. In AD 62, we don't have any record of that in the Bible, by the way. Our Lord's brother gave his life. But Josephus and Eusebius, those historians, tell of his death at the hands of the priest prior to the destruction of the temple, which was AD 70. The priest, because Paul had slipped through their hands and Jerusalem had come under such intense preaching and the Jews were accepting Jesus, they were becoming Christians in the thousands, they killed James. And it's told like this. The story narrates that he was set on a pinnacle of the temple by the scribes and Pharisees who begged him to restrain the people who were in large numbers embracing Christianity. Tell us, they said. They, in the presence of the people gathered at the feast, which is the door of Jesus? James replied in a loud voice, Why ask ye me concerning Jesus, the Son of Man? He sitteth in the right hand of power and will come again on the clouds of heaven. Many thereupon cried, Hosanna to the Son of David! But James was cast headlong down by the Pharisees, and it was said that in falling, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. When he landed, he was then stoned and beaten with a fuller's club. So the Jews, we know from Acts, they were exasperated with Paul. He had been rescued from their hands. The Lord had taken them. So he want, they want to wreak havoc. And they take their vengeance out on James. And so the publication of this epistle was to the dispersed Jews. It was going out to those, and it probably because some of those Jews that had come back to Jerusalem for the very feast, they would take this letter with them. Their daunting question, the question of the Pharisees, which is the door of Jesus, that is, by what door will he come when he returns, alludes to a prophecy of James 5, 8, and 9. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh, behold, the judge standeth before the door. They had heard that prophecy, and they were asking, what door? What is the way? Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And they wanted to know, what, how is he coming? Remember them which have rather the rule over you. Hebrews 13 says, referring back to James, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Well, that's the introduction to the man. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. If you want to hear Paul in person and are in the Stockton, California area, we invite you to join us at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church, 301 East Alpine Avenue. That's near the University of the Pacific. He brings the Bible message every Sunday at 11 a.m. and other times as listed. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.